This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you very much to all of you who have reached out by email to find out more about the Cool Things Project, which is the group coaching program that I'm in the process of sort of putting together and feeling people out. It came about, the idea was spawned by a couple of listeners who said, how come you don't have a group coaching group? It would be fun to get together on a regular basis online with some other people who are, are trying to sort of launch their entrepreneurial world. And I said, I don't know. I, I haven't done it because I hadn't thought of it. And now that I've thought of it, I'm trying to put it together. So if you're interested in being part of that group, just send me an email at tom, T-H-O-M, at tomsinger.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I have enough people and as soon as I've figured out how to put the whole infrastructure together to make sure that there's value in it for everybody who's participating. So today we're going to go inside. You know, I say in the introduction that the show is for entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, and anybody who has that entrepreneurial spirit. But sometimes we forget that you don't have to have your own business or a side business to be an entrepreneur. Sometimes you can be very entrepreneurial and still have a regular job. And I am going to interview a friend of mine today. Ken Seen is somebody who I know through the meetings business. And I always say that if you want to find people who are some of the hardest workers and the most entrepreneurial people out there, look for people who work in the meetings world. Because the meetings world requires you to work really hard and have you know, a lot of innovation in order to make sure that things are going well. And Ken is the Director of Strategic Account Management for Experient, and he has actually been with the same company since 1992. And yet, when I sat down and had coffee with him when he was in Austin last summer, I realized that he was as much of an entrepreneur as anybody I had ever met, which means that he is an entrepreneur. He's inside the company, but he's doing things in an entrepreneurial way. So I wanted to have him on, him on the show, and I'm glad that he's with us today. Hey, Ken, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, all the nice words about me. Oh, no problem. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Experient? All right. Well, uh, my responsibility at Experient uh, is to manage uh, a certain number of accounts that I have uh, to make sure that when they have their events, that their attendees have the best experience possible. Basically, what we do is we help our customers find locations for their meetings we help them organize the logistics, and that can happen in a number of different ways. And then we actually go on site with the customers to make sure that the attendees have a great experience. Because we know that when people go to meetings, first of all, they spend a lot of money. They go for two reasons. They go for the education piece, and they go for the networking piece. So we want to make it so when they, when they leave the meeting, they basically say, wow, I took away a lot of information 
from this event, I'm definitely coming back next year. So who are your clients? What types of organizations does Experient work with? You know, we work primarily with associations. We also do work with trade shows and a few government entities. So, but uh, in the association world, and people probably have heard this before, there's an association for everything. <laughs> you know, whether it's uh, an association of education people, it could be engineers, it could be a profession like attorneys or um, accountants, anything like that. I mean, you even have some associations that are like one group we used to work with was uh, the National Ostrich Association, uh, <laughs> just so that there's an association for everything. There's even an association for associations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the one that both of you and I belong to. Absolutely. And you, so you work with people from all types of industries then who host large events and your purpose in helping them is to make sure that they're making their events better. Correct. That is correct. So you have been there a long time. You have been there since 1992. What are the biggest changes you have seen in the events business since then? You know, um, probably, the, I mean, God, there's so many things that have changed um, over the years. I mean, one of the things that's been really tough in the association world is that because of access to the internet, there's so much more information that people can gather. Um, so it actually competes with the associations. Now, what's very interesting is while a lot of people have talked about the fact that, oh, I don't need to get, you know, on a plane and go to a location, I can just Skype in or, or I can watch the meeting online, people still like to meet face to face. But the big challenge is, is that people don't necessarily have to go to meetings anymore to get their information. Um, so that makes it tough. So associations are really having to look at how do we bring more value to our members so that they will continue to come to our events. Um, that's a big change. Technology obviously has evolved over the years um, that's made meetings uh, a lot different. So um, those are primarily the, the big changes that have happened. So, you know, you bring up an interesting point, and that is that information is now everywhere. So where conferences used to be about the education and the information and the networking, that networking piece has become so much more important. And of course, you know, I could talk about this for hours because my role in working with companies as sort of the conference catalyst is I talk about the elephant in the room. People say they come to network, but oftentimes when they get there, they fall into their comfort zones, which often is they sit with their coworkers who they see every single day or they spend all their time looking at their phones because it's just safer to look at your phone than to talk to a stranger or if you don't know what to do or maybe you're a little bit more introverted. Nobody has given you sort of permission to approach other people. And what I find is is that when I started doing this about a decade ago, people said, well, Tom, you know, the networking's nice, but that's sort of a fluffy topic. I had many people in the industry tell me, you'll never be able to earn a living with that being your focus. You need to go and get a different topic. And yet what happened about the time that I got started is the smartphone started to come in and it really made the experience at meetings change and not necessarily for the better. I mean, there are a lot of great apps there that the meetings industry uses where it can help the conference. But what happened is, is people spend so much time looking at their phones, they no longer talk to anybody else. And some of the biggest meetings out there that I work with, they're hungry for someone to stand up and be able to get their audience, you know, sort of, you know, 
conference catalyzed, getting them into talking to each other and Agreed. wanting to and wanting to do this. So you know, you, you bring up that change that we've moved away from you know information being such a major key because it's everywhere now to the networking. What is it that you guys do to help facilitate that from the back end? You know, there's a couple different ways we go about doing it. I mean, there are some suppliers that we work with that can look at or help the customer look at the way they their program is formatted, um, how the education is delivered uh, to help it so that they can allow their attendees to interact more with each other. You know, one of the things that's been pretty prevalent um, in the last few years um, is trying to get attendees to interact more during education sessions. Um, now, when you and I went to school, you know, and I have, obviously when you go to school today, even so, you know, the teacher stands up front and the teacher talks and the students listen. But what has been realized here recently, and uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Jeff Hurt. Oh, I, I know Jeff. Works, Jeff is Jeff's yeah. a good guy. He's a smart guy, yeah. too. Yep, working for Velvet Chainsaw Consulting. You know, his thing is is that the audience itself has a lot of education and a lot of experience in things. And what he is, what I've really learned from him and have tried to help my customers understand is that everybody who's in the room has some kind of information that they can share with the rest of the group that'll help at least one other person. So what's been happening now, like I work with a, uh, a local chapter of PCMA, which is an association of association people. What we have done is at our education sessions is we have created roundtable discussions to get the attendees to engage with each other so they can learn. And there's two benefits to this. One you're obviously going to learn from somebody else's experience that may help you. But more importantly, what ends up happening is you feel connected with the group. You're part of the group because somebody is actually interested in your opinion. When that ends up happening, you end up making an emotional connection. And by doing that, there's more likely of a chance that you're going to come back to that event in the future. Because let's face it, the bottom line is everybody wants to feel wanted. Everybody wants to voice their opinion. And for us, for me personally, that's what I want to help my customers do. Because my, the ultimate goal for me is to make sure my customers are profitable. So, Ken, how do, you, how do you go about educating the speakers and the presenters who are going to be involved in these conferences, not just to be a sage from the stage or Moses from the mountain with the tablets handing down to the audience? Because that's one of the things I totally agree with the interactivity, especially during the workshops. You know, you've got to get people, you know, involved and participating. But so often the speakers don't know how to do it. So how does an, an organization actually get what you're telling them to do to happen in practice? You know, I would say probably for most associations, they're going to want to go to an outside company who specializes in, in working on, with speakers on helping them to be able to engage. I mean, obviously, the one thing you want to do is you want to hire speakers that are going to want to engage the audience and not just give a lecture. Um, 
it's not a service that we provide internally. We can just point our customers in the direction to say, you know what, look, if you really want to engage your members, you've got to get them involved. So you've got to hire speakers that are going to be very engaging. So that brings up an interesting point, and we're getting off of, of sort of the track here, but that happens on cool things entrepreneurs do when people bring up a subject. So obviously, speaker selection is something that's near and dear to my heart because that's how I make my living. However, one of the things I find is that people don't think a lot about speaker selection as much as I find lots of times they have to fill a spot. They need a keynoter and six breakouts, or they want to have a celebrity and an industry person. And it's more of like, how do we find the commodity that goes in? So what do people who plan events need to do to get that focus right, to find the right speakers to make their event better? Well, I think the best way to do it is to you know look at speakers bureaus, because speaker bureaus are out there you know, they know who their, who their portfolio is of speakers, and they're going to ask the association planners, what is your goal with this event? What are you trying to accomplish? What is it that your members are looking for? And then from the information that they gather from the meeting planners, they can then recommend speakers that will hit those key points which I think is very, very important. And, and I, you know, sometimes I get puzzled as to why some association planners don't go to a speaker's bureau. Yes, in the long run, it might cost a little bit more money, but the value is definitely worth it. Yeah, you know, I'm a- you've got, You can have a couple thousand people in the room. You know, you want to make sure you're, you're hiring the right speaker. I'm a huge fan of bureaus. I don't actually work with very many. I, I'd love to, but I, you know, most of my stuff comes sort of word of mouth. And one of my pieces of advice, in addition to finding the right speakers bureau who can help you sort of craft your, your program with the right speakers, my other piece of advice is who was the speaker who you loved last year at your conference? Call them and ask them for a referral. Because I try very hard to always let my clients know someone I think that would be a great fit for their organization. And I learned this from a guy named Ross Bernstein out of Minnesota. And he's a very good, uh, very successful speaker. And he's very good at referring other people after he's been there. And he says that he knows two things to be true when he finishes a keynote speech. And that is that that association is going to have a conference next year. And the second thing is they don't want the same keynote speaker. So he knows it's probably not going to be him. Now, there's there's exceptions to that. I get invited back quite often, but usually I'm not invited back year to year. And so I tell all my clients, you know, now that I've worked with you and I've met your audience, please call me if there's, you know, any need you have for some recommendations for other speakers who can come in. Because I think the speaker sets the tone, the speaker and the master of ceremonies set the tone for the whole event. And if, you don't, and if you don't have those right people in place, your whole event can just be blah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, there are a lot of people in, in my company who share information about what speakers we've seen so that our other customers can, uh, you know, get exposure to what other associations are doing. I think it's wise that meeting planners talk to each other to kind of share, hey, what speakers have you hired? What kind of influence did they have? Um, I know that sometimes association planners, you know, they don't always get out and network. So, I mean, networking, that, that can be another way of finding out, you know, what kind of speakers you can hire in the future. Well, and that's true for any industry, regardless if you're a meeting, meeting professional or you know a dog catcher. I always say that no matter what you do for a living, if you don't make networking 
a top tier priority, you're going to have a second tier career. Absolutely. I agree. So Ken, you also brought up the fact in helping, you know, associations and other groups kind of find the right venues. How do venues really impact a successful meeting? You know, in a couple different ways. I mean, obviously a destination draws attendees. Um, and, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, I go for the education. But, you know, the destination does play a role in it. Uh, there are people that are like, you know what, I think I might uh, tack on a few days and, and go on vacation. So, you know, one of the things I do, I've got some customers that are very cost conscious. So going to some of those big cities, those first tier cities can be a little scary for them. But, uh, you know, we've proven that, look, people save up their money for that stuff. So the location does play a big role in that. Well, the other thing is... I was going to add that I'm really active in the National Speakers Association, and I have lobbied that organization for the six years that I've been a member that they should have a conference in Austin, Texas, where I live, because Austin is cool. And I know from being friends with our local convention and visitors bureau and other people in the hotel business that Austin is a draw. When people have their conference here, they sell it out faster. And there were people in my association that were like, well, but it's not a hub. You can't fly there directly from a lot of cities. You have to change planes in maybe Dallas or Houston. And and, you know, they kind of hemmed and hawed. And in 2016, the winter conference, which is in February for the National Speakers Association, is going to be in downtown Austin, Texas. And I'd love to say that I take credit for that. I, I, I get very little credit. They do know that I lobbied them on it. But I think Austin finally reached its its peak in their thing. And it looks like it's going to sell out early. The conference, the, 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 buzz, the buzz about coming to Austin for the conference is much more than the people at the headquarters had expected. And I think that we're going to see, you know, a conference where people do tack on a couple of days. People are already reaching out to me and it's four months away. People are already reaching out saying, you know, Hey, where, where are the cool restaurants downtown? And what are some of the on your own evening activities that we can do? And although I'm not on the committee for the event, I seem to be uh, already sort of appearing as the guy to recommend all the restaurants. But the fact that people are doing that four months out, kind of surprised me, even though I knew Austin would be a good draw, that people are that excited about a location. And so that must be something you see all the time. Absolutely. You know, the other thing, Tom, that, that plays a key role is finding a location, finding a destination, and finding a facility uh, that flows well uh, for the attendees so that they can get to the meeting rooms easily, to the meal rooms easily. There's uh, places for them to network. Um, the ambiance is, it fits the character of the group itself. Uh, because, that, I mean, that plays a very important role. That can create in itself more networking for the group. Um, prime example, I mean, if you have a group of a thousand people, you know, but you split them up amongst four or five hotels it's tough for them to network together. So, you know, for a group of that size, I usually tell them, look, let's look at one big hotel. That way everybody's under one roof. They run into each other in the meeting rooms. They run into each other in the hallway. They may see each other, you know, at the bars or the restaurants. Again, we're trying to create an atmosphere where these people can network and share ideas with each other to help each other out. 
So Ken, let's shift gears just a little bit and let's talk about your career and your experience. I mean, working, you know, a long time inside one company and yet being entrepreneurial, sort of taking ownership for your own career. What has it been like to to sort of be that entrepreneur? You know, for me, it's been very gratifying. Um, and, and I know, you know, with an entrepreneur, you, you take a lot of risks by going out on your own. But if you can find a company where they give you the freedom to make decisions that, that help their company and help your customers, that is, that's very gratifying. And I'll tell you, the company I work for, it's basically like I own my own business within Experient. They basically kind of give me the guidelines of what needs to be done, and then they let me run with my customers. So really, I can tell you all, all the groups that I work with, they, they almost look at it like they work with Ken Scene. They don't work with it, just experience. Uh, and that, that, to me, it, it gives me a lot of freedom to be able to work with the customers, help them in a way, because every association is different. Not all customers have the same needs. I'm given that freedom to be able to do whatever I need to do to help them succeed. So that's sort of the way when I worked for other people, I sort of ran my whole career. I sort of looked at it that, that I was like a, like I was a contractor. I was there on a contract. And on the one-year anniversary, I was the marketing director for a law firm. And on the one-year anniversary, I went around and sat down with all the partners individually. And I asked them, if I was an outside vendor, would you renew my contract for another year? And, and one of the partners laughed at me and he goes, Tom, you would never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Of course we would renew your contract. But it meant a lot to me to have that conversation with them all because I wanted them to know that I saw the marketing department as my own little business and the goal was to promote their little businesses. And when it worked, it worked really well. And, and they used to joke that they gave me a lot of rope to hang myself and, uh-huh. I, and I never hung myself. So that was a good thing. So Ken, if somebody is thinking... I, I want to have a job like that. I mean, I like working for a company. I'm not ready to go spin out on my own. You know, h- how do they sort of take those reins? Because there's actually been surveys done where they ask bosses, do you want your employees to act, act more entrepreneurial? And something like 85% of the bosses say yes. And yet when they ask the employees, does your boss want you to act more, employ- uh, more entrepreneurial? The employees tend to say no. So how does someone sort of take the reins or do you just have to be in the right place? Well, I mean, I think you have to ask a lot of questions of the ownership to understand what their, uh, what their goals are, you know, as far as uh, succeeding in business. You know, if you find uh, an owner of a company who is, is very controlling and micromanaging, you know, that's not going to be the place you want to be, um, you definitely need to be in a place where they can put trust in you. But at the same token, you need to display entrepreneurial characters that show them that they can trust you and that you're going to get the job done for them. You have to display talents that show that you're willing to take control, that you have an understanding of what's important to the customer. So, Ken, I have a new section to my show where I toss out three questions really quick called Three Pearls of Wisdom. And you don't know these questions are coming, and I just want a really short answer. So your Three Pearls of Wisdom starts right now. So, Ken, where do you find inspiration? Oh, I, I am a very strong believer in God. My faith is, is what keeps me going. 
working for somebody who is ethical and trustworthy is very important. And that's what I have. And I find a lot of inspiration in my family. Ken, what is the best book that you've ever read that impacted your career? You know, the book Good to Great had a lot of impact on me. Some of the things of the way they looked at business was incredible. One of those things was uh, the phrase of getting the, the right people on the bus, but more so getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. It was just a very practical business book to help you understand how certain companies have succeeded. Excellent. So what is a character trait you admire most in business professionals? It would be the truth, telling the truth, being ethical. The, the person who originally owned our company was the kind of person that if you didn't tell the truth and you are not front, regardless of the consequences, you would not be employed there anymore. And it, what it did is it gave me the freedom to be who I am because I've always been a very, very truthful person. Uh, and it's, it's, it's great to be able to work for someone like that. That is awesome. Hey, Ken, I've got a couple of more questions for you, but first I've got to thank our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Ken Seen. So if you're interested in starting a podcast or just want a little more information, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things to see the special offer they have for my listeners. So Ken, just a couple of more questions. We call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what's the coolest thing you and your company are doing these days? You know, what I am very, very impressed with right now that we're doing with our customers uh, are innovation labs. And what we're doing is we're pulling together the key stakeholders within our within the association and sitting down with them and helping them really think about what do their events mean, not only to the association, but more importantly to the members. What we'll do is we'll sit down with all those key decision makers, ask a lot of questions, and we're not giving them direction on what they need to do to change the, the organization and change their events. We're letting them answer those, those questions, but what we're doing is we're asking them things to really make them think, why do we exist as, a, as an association? Why do our meetings exist? And what's really important to our members? And that, that we have done this with a couple of our clients and the results have been incredible. It has really changed the way they look at their events. And by doing that, it is helping them increase their attendance. That is cool. That's great. So, Ken, I think some of the best traits that someone who is entrepreneurial or even intrapreneurial has is that they're an observer. And so I love to ask the guest on my shows, not you, not experienced. But what's something where you see someone else out in the world doing something cool where you say, wow, they're totally crushing it? Yeah, for me, and it was actually the, the person I'm going to refer to is someone who was a guest 
on one of your shows, and that's Dave Lutz. Ah, and Dave is excellent. Dave, I got to jump in and say Dave Lutz has been a very good friend to me since I've been a been in this meetings business. So I'm glad you're going to talk about him. So what's Dave doing that's so cool? You know, what he is doing is, you know, we talked about, you know, what we're doing with our customers on these innovation labs. Dave is actually looking at the association as a whole, not just with the events, but all the business aspects of an association and helping his clients determine what do they need to do to attract more members. And like I shared with you earlier, the Internet is giving people access to information and they may not want to belong to an association anymore. They can go on all to these different places. Dave is able to sit down with his clients and really help them understand what's important to their members so that they can help the association grow. And this is not something that's been very common. Now, there are some other companies like like Velvet Chainsaw, uh, but there's not many. And I, I think it's very, very cool because in the association world right now, a lot of associations are struggling because they can't keep members and they need help. And Dave has done a great job. He just has great observation of why associations are struggling from a business perspective. Yeah, no, and he is doing some very cool and innovative things, helping his clients sort of expand what it means to be an association in a world that is changing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Ken, another question I love to ask people has to do with how do you give back? Because in addition to being great observers, I think people who are entrepreneurial, I think they also want to leave their mark in the world. It's more than just about making money. So what do you do to serve the greater good? Well, there, there are two different things that, I'm, that I am doing. Uh, one of them I learned from the original owner of our company, Bruce Harris. It's very, very important to him that in the meeting industry that we give back. Um. You know, there, there's no need for trying to keep all this information. We need to help the better good. And that, that means, like, for me, I get out. I work uh, with the PCMA Power Chapter. I've been their president. I'm currently their sponsorship chair. And I'm just trying to find any way I can to help other meeting planners out there. And I realize that sometimes they're competitors of ours. But you know what? It's the right thing to do. So I'm sharing any kind of experiences that I have that will help all other types of meeting planners and even meeting industry people. It might be hotel people or other suppliers that support meetings to make the industry better for everybody. The other thing that I'm doing right now, um, our company experience uh, and our parent company, Merits Travel, um, is really strong into this human trafficking thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is something that I believe is affecting 25 million people. And when I say people, I mean these are pretty much children who are anywhere from the age of 12 to 18 mm. that are basically being trafficked mm. for for sex and things like that. And we have partnered with an organization called ECPAT that is fighting against human trafficking. And I'm right now chairing a committee uh, to work with suppliers. Uh, I know that Hilton Hotels is big against this right now. Um, and just trying to do something, because I can tell you, Tom, anybody who's, in, who's caught in human trafficking, 
they did not make the decision to do this. <laughs> right. They're children. Right. You know, and, and, and I want to do anything I can to, to help them have a better life. And that is a great cause. Kudos to you and your company, because I think that is a cause that maybe doesn't get enough attention. And you're right, as, as the parent of young kids, that's just scary stuff. Oh, my gosh. Is it ever? So you brought up something in your first point also where you said, you know, you're, you're, you volunteer within your trade organization, within PCMA, and, you, you know, you're there to help anybody. And sometimes that's competitors. And I love it when I hear people say that because so often people think, oh, I can't, I can't go and speak at that. My competitors will learn all my secrets or I can't volunteer there because too many of my, my competitors are members of that association. And I just sort of roll my eyes. Recently I gave a speech and in the middle of the speech I quoted somebody and they were another speaker, but they weren't a celebrity. I wasn't quoting Tony Robbins or Harvey McKay. I was quoting somebody who was a non-famous working speaker, sort of who was in sort of my same spot, sort of in you know the business and marketing sort of world. And afterwards, the and and when I quoted them, I proceeded to say what a great speaker this person was, and if you ever needed anybody, they would blow your mind. And I went on with my speech, and the meeting planner came up to me and said, "I have never seen a speaker." actually sell another speaker in the middle of their speech. And, and, and the, the audience was involved. There was a lot of meeting planners. She goes, I've never seen that before. And, and she liked it. I mean, she was complimenting me for doing it. And I said, you know, I think the greatest thing that speakers can do is champion other speakers. Because, Absolutely. Because in any industry, we're not a commodity. You know, I'm, a speaker's not a commodity. What you do is not a commodity. We have to let people know who the best out there are. And when we help our competitors, if you want to call them that, what we're really doing is helping our industry. And if we help our industry, we're helping ourselves. So I guess in a way, you know, you could say it's selfish to promote your competitors, but only when they're good. Yeah, no, you hit it right on the head. And, you know, I, I heard on one of your interviews with somebody that's saying of Zig Ziglar. You know, you can get everything in life you want if you'll help enough other people get what they want. I Amen. think that that's absolutely true. I, I, I mean, it's the, I'm living proof of it. It's, you know, the more I have helped other people, the more people have helped me. And it's, I mean, Zig Ziglar had it. He nailed it with that quote. So, Ken, thank you so much for being a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I think this was a wonderful conversation. I don't even know that it was an interview. We were just sort of chatting. But I think it was full of information nuggets that are really going to help the people who listened. And I know a lot of the people who listen have jobs. They're working. They, they, they have this thing that, hey, I want to be more entrepreneurial. And I think you're a perfect example that you don't have to quit your job and go take a leap, that you can actually build something and stay with one company for you know a quarter century. Well, I appreciate you uh, wanting to interview me, and I hope that this does help some of your listeners. And I just want to say thank you to you. Um, the shows that I've listened uh, in the last two months of yours have been very inspiring to me, so thank you. Well, good. Well, I appreciate that, and it's, it's nice to know when I interview somebody that they're actually a listener of the show, so I appreciate that. Hey, and for all of you listeners of the show out there, thank you so much for tuning in. If you like the show, jump over to iTunes and leave a review because I get really excited when we get positive reviews about the show, and it helps other people find the show. So we're going to be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody just as cool as Ken Seen. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly passion for great sounding podcasts. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.